The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome to The Football Five, everybody. Alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, and Rich McCrigger, I'm Stephen Err. Today, filling in for Joshua Laurie is our producer, Sean Garmer. I want to welcome Sean to the show. Hey, guys. Good to be here. There you go. All right, so as we do every week, we're going to start by going down the games, the final scores from every game from Week 5. Thursday night, the Cardinals beat the 49ers, 3rd through 21. Sunday, the Redskins knocked out the Ravens, 16-10. Patriots pummeled the Browns, 33-13. Lions escaped the Eagles, 24-23. Colts beat the Bears, 29-23. Titans beat the Dolphins, 30-17. The Vikings take it to the Texans, 31-13. The Stellas beat the Jets, 31-13. Falcons beat the Broncos, 23-16. Cowboys beat the Bengals 28-14. Bills beat the Rams 30-19. Darius beat the Chargers 34-31. Packers helped the Giants 23-16. And the Bucks beat the Panthers 17-14 on Monday night. So, guys, takeaways from Week 5. First for me, it is time for to push the panic button in Carolina. We talked about this last week. We were like, when is it time to push the panic button? We were like, okay, they're on the fringe. We're going to give them another week or two. And then Cam Newton suffers that concussion, and he's out for Monday night's game against Tampa Bay. As we all know, yesterday that was not one of the better games that we've seen. That was actually one of the worst games, if not one of the uh, probably the worst game of the season to date. Carolina was at home with Derek Anderson, their backup at QB. They lost the Buccaneers 17-14. Despite Tampa's kicker, Roberto Aguayo, continuing his early season struggles, missing two field goals, their own kicker, Graham Gano, missed a field goal. So, for me, it's time to push the panic button. These, This was a Super Bowl team last year. They lost, but they were a Super Bowl team. They were 15-1, and one, one game away from being undefeated in the regular season, and they are 1-4. Now, is it totally time to panic and worry and think about next season? Absolutely not. There were two teams last year that started 1-4 and four and still made the playoffs. That was the Texans and the Chiefs. Of course, those two teams ended up meeting. Remember, the Chiefs won on an 11-game winning streak, so it's not impossible that the Panthers go on a big winning streak and end up either winning the division, which with the way the Falcons are playing might seem a little unlikely, but we'll see how that develops as the season goes on. Or they get into the wild card, which right now seems most realistic. But a couple things. If Cam Newton continues to be out, which a concussion, the severity depends. If if it's severe and there's a high risk for it to happen again, and he's not going to come back for a little bit, so they're going to have to keep going to Derek Anderson. And that secondary is going to continue to be a problem throughout the rest of the season. We know they, they cut Benet Benwicker last week after he gave 300 yards to Julio Jones. That leaves on with James Bradbury. James Bradbury is going to be their starter. 
Michael Griffin is their safety. They had a whole shake of it uh, in their in their secondary, and that's why it's ranked one of the last in the league. And there's a problem there. If they cannot cover their, the wide receivers and they can't have a consistent cornerback or a consistent safety, then that's just going to plague them, and it's going to be hard for them, even with an MVP, former MVP of quarterback, Kevin, Kelvin Benjamin, wide receiver, and the other players they have on defense, if they cannot cover their, the wide receivers that they have going up against them and their secondary continues to be weak without four of their top corners from last year, then I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from this. Maybe they might, but it's going to take a little bit. And right now, if I were a Panthers fan, I'd start to worry just a little bit. I don't want people getting comfortable with the Cardinals and the Colts. Yes, the Cardinals and the Colts both won. Cardinals beat the Niners and the Colts beat the Bears, but it's the Niners and the Bears. Sure, it was a big win for both teams to get confidence up, but these are two teams that have struggled against good teams and bad teams. I mean, for goodness sakes, they lost, the Colts lost to Jacksonville and they struggled. They, it was a neck and neck, excuse me, a neck and neck race with the Bears, and that shouldn't happen. A team, a team that has Andrew Locke should not struggle against the Bears. And I get it, the offensive line, it needs help, it needs work. But it's it's still Andrew Locke, and they've got T.Y. Hilton, they've got all these players. Don't even get me started on the release of Cromartie. I'm not happy about that. I don't know why they were just shooting themselves in the foot with that one. But don't get comfortable with these two teams. They won over teams that really aren't that good. So be be very cautious about those two teams. You both make very good points. I'm with Dylan. This it's, it's big time panic mode for Carolina. Yeah, they they played Derek Anderson yesterday. But even with Derek Anderson, Cam Newton, whoever quarterback is, they're one and four. They lost to the Bucks. Come on, the Bucks, whose whose kicker drafted in the second round has missed missed like what three field goals, two three field goals yesterday. Mm-hmm. Terrible. And also, I wanted to mention they allowed Jaquez Rogers, who hasn't played in the NFL since he was with the Falcons, and he was maybe a second string running back. They allowed him to go for a hundred plus yards yesterday. I mentioned the secondary. Maybe the run defense is going to be a problem. Remember, this wasn't Doug Martin. This wasn't Charles Sims. This was Jaquez Rogers, a guy they just picked up at the start of the season. So they're allowing Jaquez Rogers to run for over 100 yards. Imagine what's going to happen in the next couple of games, starting when they play the New Orleans Saints and Mark Ingram next week. If they can't contain Jaquez Rogers, then there's going to be a problem, not only with the secondary, but with the run defense apparently as well. Honestly, I'm not exactly sure what it is. Well, first of all, I've always said this about funky things happen in divisional games. You saw this last night. Rachel, you'd mentioned this with how the Colts played against the Jaguars and how the Colts have fared overall. But unless and until Cam Newton gets back and he steps off of his scooter in downtown and not wearing his safety helmet, I can't push the panic button yet. 
However, with the way that their defense is played, they will, especially up against the Saints, need to start outscoring teams again like they did against San Francisco. And just to add to the extra peculiarness of this season overall, I know well, I've had past discussions about this with Sam Bradford's performance, but Minnesota's the last remaining undefeated team at 5-0. and Who saw that coming? Are the Falcons, with their hot start, are they for real? And have the Buffalo Bills finally learned to circle the wagons again? Eh, this is finally starting to shape up to be interesting. Yeah, that's a point I have uh, here. The No one circles the wagon like the Buffalo Bills. They started 0-2. They just won their third straight game against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, Sean, do you have a takeaway from Week 5? Yeah. Uh, Tom Brady is back, and the Patriots are back to being who they are. Uh, hello, Martinez Bennett getting three touchdowns and... Maybe we have uh, Aaron Hernandez and Gronk again, just in another form. Uh, I'm be very worried about if I'm facing the Patriots from now on. That's that's a duo I don't want to face. Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> I can't believe you made that reference. That's funny. But I don't also, know about the oh, Go ahead, Dylan. Yeah, I just wanted to mention real quickly. The San Diego Chargers enter Thursday night's game against Denver 1-4. and But it very easily could be entering that game 5-0 and and on top of the AFC West. But they have found an interesting way to lose all four of those games. Let's start back in Week 1 against the Kansas City Chiefs. They held a three-touchdown lead against a team that was a contender in the playoffs last year. And they blow it all and then end up losing in overtime. Week 2, they would win. And I really would like to focus... On the next three weeks, of course, starting in week three against the Colts, they had another big lead. T.Y. Hilton uh, catches a long touchdown from Andrew Luck at the end of the game. Game over. They've blown another lead. Now, these last two weeks have been particularly infuriating for the Chargers, and I'm sure their fans themselves. Let's go back to the previous week against the Saints. They are, after previously losing, they take a two-touchdown lead. And then they increase that with a field goal, making it a three-possession game. And then all of a sudden, fumbles, 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 turnovers, and all of a sudden, the Saints are back. They have the momentum, and they win the game. And then lastly, this past week against the Oakland Raiders, they are actually not winning this time, so they are in a different situation. They're trying to come back against the Oakland Raiders. And I want to mention one player that caught my eye, and of course, he's not to blame for the entire game, but... There were a couple key situations in which punter Drew Kayser might have uh, contributed to why they lost 34-31 to the Raiders. First, a 17-yard punt in the second half probably didn't help things too much. And of course, we all know the end of the game, he drops the snap, which was a which was a a good snap. He drops the snap, and the game's over. So the Chargers are one and four. Very easily could be five and zero, not four and one, at least three and two. But they enter. Their game on Thursday at one and four, and I cannot imagine they or their fans are happy with that record. I know I wouldn't be if I was the Chargers. Uh, one and four. He mentioned it. They had so many chances to win these games. Could easily be five and zero, oh, but it's just, it's just so sad. And they played Denver Thursday night. It's not looking much better. They play 
Trevor Simeon, who has impressed, actually. He's very impressive. But I'll go back to Rachel's point. Andrew Luck. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, oh, he got he finally got a win. All right. And other people are like, you can't blame him for the cold, slow start. And Rachel's right. They played the Bears. Like, I don't know. To those people that are so interested and so impressed with Andrew Luck's performance, it was the Bears. I mean, Brian Hoyer, over the last two seasons, I, saw, I looked this up on Instagram. I saw it on Instagram. I saw this on Instagram. Ryan Hoyer has better stats over the last two seasons than Aaron Rodgers. For God's sake. It's the Bears' defense that's it's lackluster. And that's why Andrew Luck won. He definitely deserves the blame for how the Colts have played. I mean, Pitty got $100 million. He's a quarterback. What's the quarterback's position on the team? Lead them. It doesn't matter what your offensive line sucks. Your running back, you have the ninth-ranked running back in league history. you got to do something with that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can point to the Colts Colts starts the past couple of years. But I want to go back to a quote made by their GM Ryan Grigson, basically saying that with the way that they paid Andrew Luck, it's hard to build a defense. Well, this is what I have to say to Ryan Grigson: You're the one who paid Andrew Luck 100 million dollars. If you didn't think at the time that you could have still paid him a big amount of money because he is your franchise quarterback, and despite the fact that he might be might have been injured, that he might not have been playing so well. He still is your franchise quarterback, and at this moment is your best hope to be a contender. So if you're going to pay him $100 million, then you should know they're not going to be able to build a defense that was already weak last year. So they need, they might want to consider over the, in the future other ways to pay their quarterback because they won't be so tied down. Of course, there are times when you just have to pay him and have to deal with it, but... If you look at that, their defense, one of the worst in the league, offensive line has been dealing with injuries and was not the best when they're healthy. So I'm just saying if Ryan Grigson wanted to improve his team, maybe he could have found a way to still make Andrew Luck happy while still being able to improve other areas of the team. Well, this is where you get into a conundrum about quarterback play over the past couple of years in the NFL. Yes, you can argue that there's a schism between the types of offenses run in college and the pro-style mm-hmm. offense. You could argue the different level of athletes that you see. I can hear all of that. However, if you're going to give Andrew Luck all of the credit for how he started in his career with the multiple playoff appearances, enough that you felt the need to give him that $100 million contract, among a few others who would, in a majority of years, be somewhat average. You've got to, when seasons like last year, like this year, start to happen and things start coming together in reverse, you have to give him some of the blame. Yes, he has had great flashes, but overall, you're starting to see a wave of mediocrity. Now, I don't know if this was hidden, the first uh, few years of his career, especially with the talent that they had at wide receiver, but whatever it is, this is what you're starting to see right now. Yes, you have three rookies on and off on the offensive line, especially on the right side, but the guy under center, the buck has got to stop with him. And I want to go back to a point you made, Eric. No one circles the wagon like Buffalo Bills. 
three straight wins, just beat the, the Rams by 11 points. So we'll ask, I'll ask you here. We'll start with the Bills, and there's another team that is doing the same thing they're doing. How have the Bills turned that the whole thing around? What happened? Honestly, I'm seeing a lot more aggressiveness in their defense. Now, normally with the Rex Ryan team, you're going to get a stout front seven pressuring the quarterback. But overall, you know that's going to lead to low-scoring games because they usually don't put it together on offense. With the Bills' defense and now their special teams starting to step up to another level, being to a level of opportunism like we saw with the Saints when they won the Super Bowl, they realize, hey, Tyrod Taylor can only do it so much. Sammy Watkins just went on IR. It's up to us to have to make more plays maybe get T-Mobile and others in position to score more points. And now that the pressure is off, you see Taylor making more plays. Shady McCoy is showing shades of why he became a star in Philadelphia. Things are starting to click. Hey, Rachel and Sean, how do you guys, how do you guys think the, the Bills have turned it around after an 0-2 start? Because Rex Ryan is a magician. I don't know how. I I mean, the the Bills have a talented roster. I think something about the Bills that, that I've seen for the past maybe five, five years or so is that they've always had talent on their roster. They just didn't know what type of system to play. And I think now they finally have a system that doesn't just work for the offense, that doesn't just work for the defense, that uh, that doesn't just work for special teams. It just works for everyone, and I think you can see that a lot more now. I think it all comes down to you fire Greg Roman, and they finally figured out what makes them work. Uh, for one, your offensive coordinator actually asked the team, hey, what plays do you want to run? Hey, this is kind of what we want to do on offense. Oh, guess what? It works. You know, you know, running the ball with uh, LaShawn McCoy – actually is a good thing. It was working last year. Yeah, you don't have the tandem that you had with Carlos Williams. Gillisley kind of just goes around to steal touchdowns. But, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things where once you figure out what actually works for your offense, you don't have Tyrod Taylor back there actually trying to pass the ball every down, which is not what he's good at, really. He's more of a, let me just kind of do what I can, run if I have to, but we're going to actually try to give it to our playmakers, especially when you don't have Sammy Watkins out there. He's a lot more limited. So they've kind of figured out what works on offense, and what Eric said, they've been a lot more aggressive defensively and actually been able to use their linebackers and their secondary more, which are the highlights of their their defense. And you see it when they're actually able to make plays like the one that won in the game against the Rams. I'm with Sean on this one here. They fired their offensive coordinator, Greg Roman, after week two lost to the Jets. And it just magic like like Rachel said, magic. Nobody I don't know I don't know how they did it either. But the Bills have pulled up three straight wins and they're looking pretty good right now. And it gets just gets easier from here. They play San Francisco on Sunday in Buffalo. And we'll get to that a little later because we have some breaking NFL news. But then there's a team like the Washington Redskins. The Redskins have done the same thing the Bills did. 
They started 0-2. They won three in a row. So same question here. How have the Redskins been able to turn it around? Uh, what, what Rachel described as the Bills is magic. I'm borderline trying to see if that was some sort of voodoo. I mean, looking at Kirk Cousins, it was the exact same as last year. Yes, last year led to a 9-7 and record and the famous you like that in the division win, but it seems like he's doing just enough and not necessarily making enough plays, but doing just enough not to mess things up. And with the defense, it's similar. They're starting to be a bit more aggressive, but with the way that they've adapted trying to get to more man-to-man coverage instead of a zone and having better assignments, especially out wide with their corners, they're starting to shut down receivers a bit, starting to have well, opposing quarterbacks take more time, giving advantage to their defensive line, and it's starting to work. Yeah, the defense for me is what has been the big key to them pulling off three straight wins after an 0-2 start. Let's go all the way back to their Week 3 game against the Giants. They were they were trailing for a good portion of the game. Obviously, that was the game when Odell Beckham went a little crazy with the kicking net. But the Redskins picked off Eli Manning twice, including one that helped them get the ball back to take, the, to, to, to take control of the game. So that, that helped them win 29-27. And then you flash forward to the next week. Of course, they're playing the Browns, but it was actually pretty close. But force, a, force an interception on rookie quarterback Cody Kessler. And while many would consider this to be a little bit of a phantom fumble with Duke Johnson, a lot of people are saying that he actually didn't fumble. No evidence of the Redskins picking up. It ended up counting as a fumble, so it counts in the stat book. So, And then we flash back to last week's game against the Ravens. They held them to 10 points, which ultimately led them, the Ravens, to firing offensive coordinator Mark Tressman. And they made just enough plays on that final drive to hold off the Ravens in attempt. And they actually did have a touchdown, but it was called back after that. So it's not been pretty. They've all been pretty ugly wins. Of course, the Giants by two. The Browns was by 11, but that was a very, very ugly game. They did, They trailed for a good portion of that game. And then this game, they also trailed for about a half before winning by six points. So it hasn't been pretty. McCurk Cousins is definitely showing improvement from the first two weeks. The defense is making plays, caught forcing turnovers when it is necessary. And their running game, Matt Jones, Chris Thompson, and a bunch of others they're starting to get involved, is helping them with opening up the passing game for Kirk Cousins. And while it hasn't, the wins haven't been pretty, the defense has made enough plays. The running game's trying to get going. And if they can continue to win games more easily, ha- let Kirk Cousins have a little bit more time in the pocket, then we could see a, a team similar to last year's divisional winning team. But for right now, the defense is stepping up, and that's mainly why they've pulled off three straight wins. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about um, Kirk Cousins improving, Dylan, because I, I feel like a lot of people, and and I, I will say before before I mention my point, the quarterback is a very important position, obviously. 
but it's not the only position. And I feel like a lot of people just throw a bunch of flack towards the quarterback. And like Dylan said, he's, he's improving. If you look at Kirk Cousins from last year to this year, I don't know about you gentlemen, but I see a significant improvement. I be, and a lot of that is because, oh my gosh, goodness, somebody help me. I'm blanking on their head coach's name. Jay Gruden. Yeah, he is just, he's building around Kirk. And I mean, they, they're in a tough division. They have a tough schedule. And I, there's no excuses. They need to get better. It's just, we can't all flack on Kirk Cousins. I really don't know what else to say. I'm blanking on this topic because I don't know much about the Redskins. <laughs> you know, it all kind of comes down to kind of like what Dylan said, a total team effort. Honestly, you had Jameson Crowder get the big punt return in the last game. You know, the, honestly, the Ravens did everything they could to lose that game. Let's, let's be fair here. Uh, the Redskins just kind of took the opportunities and went with it. But, uh, you know, last game it was Matt Jones. This game it was Pierre Garçon that shows up. Uh, Kirk Cousins is getting better. Obviously, he's not doing the numbers he did last year, but he's being efficient. And sometimes you don't have to put up gaudy numbers. Sometimes you just need to be efficient. And that's kind of what the Redskins are doing. They're taking their opportunities on defense. They're turning them into points. And they're getting help from other places, you know, whether it's the kicker, whether it's punt returns. They're kind of doing it all right now, and they're winning against against the opposition. Yeah, the Ravens kind of did what they could to lose that game. Yeah, the Giants had that thing in hand for a while, and they did what they could. But it's all about who has the final score at the end and who has the most points, and the Redskins have been able to do that. Good point there. Now we go to the uh, – there's another NFC East team. They lost for the first time this season last – on Sunday. The Eagles. Very impressive. Carson Wentz uh, is a godsend to the Eagles, getting him second overall at a North Dakota State. They are so lucky to have him. I watched the North Dakota State. Great guy. I mean, he won five straight national championships with them. But he threw his first interception. The Eagles lost to the Lions 24-23. to and now uh, we're going to see what this rookie made of. They go to Washington in week six. They host the Vikings week seven at Dallas, at the Giants, and host the F- Falcons before they go to Seattle. I don't know about you guys, but I think they might be in a little bit trouble here with the opponents they're going to be facing over the next few weeks. Definitely. This is a team that kind of, I don't want to say coasted, but... The Browns and the Bears are probably the two worst teams in all of football. The Steelers, obviously, they just outplayed them that game, obviously being by 31 points. They had their bye week, and then they ran into a Lions team that, despite coming in 1-3, was still playing very good football. And as you just mentioned, these next six, five or six weeks are going to be a big, big test for this young team, and especially for their young quarterback, Carson Wentz. Now, He's without one of his top offensive linemen, Lane Johnson, whose 10-game suspension was upheld. So, over these next couple of games, you've got at Washington, at at Dallas, a couple of tough divisional road games, and then you've got Seattle, Atlanta, some of the best teams in the league, and of course Minnesota, the lone undefeated team in the league. So this is a very tough stretch for the Eagles. going to be a big test for Carson Wentz, and it's a testament 
to how well he's developing and how well he's getting adapted to the league that he threw his first career interception five weeks into the season. Most guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick, I know is obviously not his first season, but in terms of throwing interceptions, he had had nine through the first three weeks. So it's pretty impressive that this rookie who wasn't expected to start, was expected to be the backup and was kind of thrust into the role a couple weeks before the season, has only thrown one interception and that was kind of on a pass that you wouldn't typically throw unless it was like their situation looking for looking for a big play with no timeouts left. So this is going to be a big test for the Eagles, and it's going to show everyone what they've got. They've got a lot of road games, and a lot whether those road games be against their divisional opponents who always seem to play them tough, and then you got a couple of tough home games, and this includes the Seahawks and the Vikings, a couple of the teams that are up in, up in the NFL rankings so far. So it's going to be a tough test, and it's going to be interesting to see how their rookie quarterback, who's been great so far, will continue to adapt and see if he passes his test again over these next six to seven weeks. Well, going back to what Steven said, Wentz is very used to not only following something big, but in a lot of pressure situations, as he was part of this now still continuing North Dakota State dynasty. Do I think that the schedule is tough? Absolutely. He's going to face some very strong defenses, especially at front. But this is a chance with Doug Peterson, another former Eagle quarterback, to kind of help him out and say, hey, this is what you've got to do now that there's film on you. This is how we have to tweak our offense. This is how we have to change our protection schemes working from the inside out. I don't want to say that he'll be exposed, but this last game against the Lions, teams are going to start sniffing around. Maybe it's the coverages. Maybe it's the different matchups. Maybe it's different pressures that are applying. And these next few teams are going to start to do that. So now it's definitely up to if Peterson can help the offense respond then the Eagles will at the very least tread water. If not, then all of a sudden you go from having an opportunity to be neck and neck with Dallas to throwing everybody in the mix in the NFC East. There are two teams that all, about all of us here don't buy into. We will get to that when we preview week six. Next. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. Hi, I'm Donovan James, and welcome to the Don James High School Football Report, everybody, where we discuss and debate the hottest prep and college football recruiting topics in the country every week, only here on NGSC Sports, 9.30 Eastern. For more, follow me on Twitter at Don James Sports. 
If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. Well, welcome back to the Football Five, alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Golden, Richard Cricker, and today, Sean Garmer joining us, our producer. I'm Stephen R. So, as far as I said before we went to break, there are two teams, or at least one team, that three of us here said we didn't buy yet. That's the Atlanta Falcons. Falcons are four and one right now this season. Yeah, that's great. They were five. They were six and one last year. They finished eight and eight and uh, missed the playoffs. That's why I'm not buying into them. Dylan and Eric both also said they weren't buying into the Falcons just yet either. Yes, it's going to take some time. Wow, they've been very impressive so far, defeating both Super Bowl teams from last year and coming to a four and one record. I want to remind some people. This is becoming customary. Remember in 2013, of course, this wasn't a collapse in the regular season. They were looking great, making it to the playoffs, and then falling short and collapsing to the San Francisco 49ers after a 13-3 season. And while this is different from collapsing in the regular season, this is, a, this is proof that they are not equipped quite yet to sustain themselves throughout the season and into what could possibly be the end of the season, and the Super Bowl, of course. The last year, Steven just mentioned, 6-0, 6-1 start, quick start, and all of a sudden, they get blown out by the Panthers. Of course, they would beat them two weeks later, but it becomes an absolute dumpster fire, and they finish 8-8, eight eight, another missed playoffs to another disappointing season. So, it's only week six, and I'm not buying into it yet. While I've been very impressed with their running back duo of Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, Julio Jones obviously having that 300-yard game with Matt Ryan, probably leading the MVP race so far, I just don't buy it. I cannot trust this Falcons team, as I mentioned before, until about week 11 or week 12. If we get that deep into the season, they've sustained success. They're getting closer to a playoff spot. They've stayed healthy. Then I'll start to buy into it. I'll start to consider them a serious contender. But for right now, given their past history of starting off strong and finishing 
not so strong as we know the popular saying, it's not you start, it's how you finish. I'm not going to buy into it. Like I said, I've been impressed with how they've started, but they've got to finish before I believe in them. I'm honestly the same way, and it's moments like this where we see the good of Matt Ryan hooking up with Julio Jones, spreading the ball around, reading defenses, making plays, and lest we forget, they've been in something of a shootout. Look at what happened in their their game against the Raiders. But as you get later this season, and especially in the playoffs, something about the defenses that Ryan faces, something about holding on a little bit longer to the ball, but there's something with him that all of this fantasticness just disappears. Yes, if we're getting, like Dylan said, to week 10, week 11, week 12, and they've got, say, eight, nine wins in their pocket, all right, I will consider them contenders. And then I'll be looking forward to what can they do in the playoffs. But as the pressure starts to build, if they can't keep it going, no, this means nothing. I can't really say if I'm on the Atlanta Falcons hype train. Maybe I'll say it after week eight. But, yes, they have been impressive, yet Matt Ryan is playing very, very well. I just I just don't see them winning their division. I don't see them doing all these spectacular things, excuse me, that the media is cracking them up to be. I think sooner or later, I, I mean, honestly, I think it all really depends on the health of two people, and that's Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. And it's just, I feel like the Atlanta Falcons are kind of like a, okay, we'll see type of team. So without further ado, okay, we'll see. Man, I'm going to be the only one on the actual train then. Uh, I think the difference you didn't have last year that you do have this year is you have weapons around Matt Ryan that is not just Julio Jones. Justin Hardy is a year older with that team. You have other receivers that they brought in that make it to where you can't just double Julio Jones the whole game. And even if you take him out, just like they showed against Denver, the guy that they didn't have all year last year was Tevin Coleman. He makes a huge difference because it allows for both of them to not only be running threats, they're passing threats. So you can't just key in on one guy because guess what happens? You start messing around and doubling Julio Jones, well, you're going to get Tevin Coleman exactly the way you got him with the Broncos where he's going to get out and he's going to cause problems passing. I don't know if they can necessarily get this every game the way they got it against the Broncos, but I I have a feeling that this defense is just going to get better as the season goes on. Remember, they added a lot of pieces and they have to gel. And the offense is, is getting better. I think Matt Ryan is finally kind of realizing, hey, I, I can't just sit here and put up gaudy numbers. And he didn't put up gaudy numbers in that in that Denver game, and they still won. And I think it's just all about adjusting to the game, having another year with the coach as well, and understanding that, you know, you lived through that collapse last year. How do we make it not happen this year? It also helps your division is worse than last year as well. Yeah, before the season, I actually said 
because the Falcons had just finished 8-8, eight and eight, missed playoffs off their 6-1 start. And then they got rid of all-time leading receiver Roddy White. And I was like, are they serious right now? I was, I was just saying, okay, they're going like 4-12 next year. So the fact they're 4-1, <laughs> it's amazing. But a big part, like Sean mentioned, Tevin Coleman, running back at Indiana, loved him at Indiana. They got a good pick out of him. Not only that, but Devontae Freeman, he's back. He, he played, I think, four or five games last season before getting concussed and missing the rest of the year. And he was a monster in those first four or five games, as was Julio Jones. Now, there is no excuse for Julio Jones not getting the targets he got first four or five weeks that he didn't get the final 12, 11 weeks. But this Falcons team looks legit right now. But like like Dylan said, like Eric said, Sean, I'm sorry, the only one here tonight on the Falcons wagon. And I'm not buying it. Six and one and eight, eight and eight. Uh, it could happen again. I mean, I see. I can see it happening again. But, however, in week six they go to Seattle. This is like the biggest challenge of their season right now. They go to Seattle, play the Seahawks on the road. Now, if they beat the Seahawks, I'm gonna start creeping. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start thinking about buying my ticket to that Falcons hype train. What about the rest of you? Yes, this is what I was thinking about earlier. Wow. For me to officially start the MMS contenders, I have to wait towards the end of the year. If they go on the road back-to-back weeks, beat the Super Bowl champion from last year, beat a team that was in the Super Bowl for two straight years and has been a contender and had one of the league's best defenses and home field advantages for about five years now, then maybe I'm starting to think of them probably a division champ and potentially cause some noise in the playoffs. Because think about this. Two of the league's best defenses, probably, other than the Vikings, of course. You go on the road, beat both of them. Your offense plays well. Your defense holds a Seattle team, assumingly, if they were to win the game, an offense that has the potential to be explosive. And if they can score enough points, then they should be able... Then that would be quite a shocker because, despite the fact of how well they've played, it is incredibly difficult for even a team like the Patriots, who are incredible, just, you know, can be, pretty much beat any team with ease, with an exception for a couple teams. That is incredibly hard to go on the road for two straight weeks, and it's not like they're going on the road to Cleveland and Chicago. We're talking about Denver and Seattle, two of the league's best home field advantages, two of the league's best defenses. I mean, this is just would be an incredible achievement for a team last year that won 8-8, eight and, eight. and if they can get Kevin Coleman involved, Muhammad Sanu, and of course, Lee Jones, and I would not be entirely shocked, but it would really show me that they mean business and that they could be legitimate contenders if they can keep it going throughout the rest of the season. Again, this is one of those to where this is going to be a big, arguably the biggest first half feather in the Falcons bonnet having to make yet another trip out west having to make it or going against a defense that has gotten themselves right of the ship in front of an incredibly loud stadium these are one of those pressure situations and lest we forget just a few years ago this was the Seahawks team that knocked Matt Ryan and these Falcons out of the playoffs Yes, very dubious play calling aside towards the last minute of that game. But if the Falcons can kind of get what you could say is a measure of revenge, 
kind of control their defense and keep Russell Wilson in the pocket, get themselves together, use Tevin Coleman in the running game, so that way that takes the pressure off of Julio Jones yet again, I'm going to start raising my eyebrow. I can't say they're a contender yet, but the way that the division is looking, they could be running away with it, even though, yes, you're running away with the weak division, but I'll be perking up as this gets closer, if the Falcons win. I'm with Eric. I don't think I'll be 100% on the hype train, but I'll be paying closer attention for sure. Honestly, go to Sean on this one. I really don't know what else to say besides it's in Matt Ryan's hands. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes it really clear if the Falcons are for real here beating two teams like that, two teams that have defenses back-to-back, as you guys have already said. I mean, and if you beat them soundly, I think it makes it even uh, a bigger deal. So it, it kind of all depends on how you win. If you win ugly, you know, it, it, it's, it doesn't matter how you win necessarily, but if you win big and not like, you know, 6-3 to three or whatever, it, you're going to have a better feeling about the Falcons going forward so sean over here right now as it stands at the end of week five is the only one on the falcons hype train rachel eric dylan and i might join if they beat the seahawks we'll find out sunday 405 eastern on fox but there's another team that i'm not buying maybe you guys are buying them i'll buy buy their defense i said i apologize to the vikings defense but you know what i'm not buying their offense Sam Bradford has thrown five touchdowns in four games. That's not... Oh, everyone's praising Sam Bradford. That's why the Vikings are 5 now. No. Their offense is not that good. They had one good game on offense against Green Bay where Stephon Diggs caught, like, two touchdown catches. Other than that, splat. Look, while this is an offense that lacks explosion, lacks firepower, and really lacks the ability to be healthy... With last game missing, of course, Tay Bridgewater out for the season. Adrian Peterson is going to be out for a big chunk of the season. And they were missing, as you mentioned before, their wide receiver. Stephon Diggs was out. Matt Khalil, their top offensive lineman, was out. They still put up 31 points. Of course, albeit one of those being a punt return against the Texans, who are heading in a downward spiral. So, even though their offense is lacking firepower... This defense is starting to become the purple people eaters again, and they are just playing in and in outworldly. I mean, it's just incredible. They are they really haven't changed much from last year. But you look at this team held se- uh, the Texans to seven points, sacked Cam Newton eight times, held the Packers to fourteen points, and then scored two defensive touchdowns against the Titans in Week One. This is a defense that no one can get past, similar to the Broncos last year. If they their offense can just stay consistent, do enough, move the ball, get points, then that's going to be enough to supplement this defense until they get some of their weapons back. Personally, and I've said this about defenses in the past, if you can tell your offense, hey, get us 17, 21 points, we will win you the game. The Vikings defensively have gone above and beyond. 
Am I saying that Sam Bradford is the best quarterback since sliced bread? No. Am I saying that he's the best in Vikings history? No. Everyone will agree that was Fran Tarkenton. But to come in fresh off a trade, not expected to be the starter, but you are toward, uh, thanks to injury, and you have maybe a week and a half to learn an entirely new playbook, Given Bradford's history, I will take five touchdown passes because he goes along with no interceptions. He's finally in a situation to where he's taking care of the ball. Even though his weapons are limited, he's not screwing things up. So yes, along with the defense, I think Bradford making these baby steps it's a bit of a factor of why the Vikings are 5-0. and Okay. Uh, well, I think, honestly, what's going on here is, for one, the team may actually be better without Adrian Peterson because... Jarrett McKinnon allows you to do different things in the passing game. Uh, it gives you two guys between Asiata and McKinnon that you kind of don't know who's going to be running, so you have to be careful for either the pound the pounded guy with Asiata or the guy that's going to be quick like McKinnon. You also got uh, Kyle Rudolph in there that he's always a threat, and then they'll end up doubling Kyle Rudolph like they did against what like the Texans did where they kind of tried to take Kyle Rudolph out of the game. Well, Sam Bradford knows he has the defense to back him up so he can take chances with some of these other guys. Who the hell, uh, you know, credit to you if you got Adam Thielen in your fantasy team. But uh, nobody would have thought he would have got the the game that he had last week. You know, it's just he's working with who he has. He's never had a defense the way he has. He's comfortable. He doesn't have to worry about, oh, crap, well, if I throw an interception, this game's over. You know, yeah, he hasn't thrown any. They're going to come, probably. But the thing is, he's been getting hit, too. That offensive line has been bad. They keep getting hurt. They've got more guys hurt. Andre Smith's hurt now. Uh, I mean, just that dude is doing more with less offensively than he probably has had in his entire career. And the defense is helping him. But we need to give Sam Bradford some credit here. He's, he's playing the best he has and. Probably ever. I hate to agree with Sean, but yeah, you have to give Sam Bradford credit. But I don't think he's doing enough. Um, like you just said, what, five touchdowns in four games? That's that's not enough. And yeah, I'm going to be biased here. You know what's more impressive? Roethlisberger's nine touchdowns in two games. So... If you want to talk about good quarterbacking, if that's even a word, go there. Don't go to Sam Bradford. Minnesota, their defense is what's keeping them in. But I don't. It, we'll just have to see how they do without Peterson now, how they're going to rely on Sam Bradford. Because really, I, I almost laughed there by putting the word rely and Sam Bradford in the same sentence. Because I just don't think that that's doable. And don't forget, they also have a great coaching staff, too. Mike Zimmer is fantastic oh, defensively. Awesome. And Norv Turner, dude, that, that guy has been doing it forever on the offensive side. 
and, yeah, and I, this is well. This is why I say, and I'm glad that Rachel brought up this point. Rachel, go back to Big Ben's rookie year, where he had that incredible winning streak. Did you honestly expect that, given the situation? I didn't hear that last part, Eric. What was that? Oh, well, I was saying about Big Ben, his rookie year, when he started his career with that incredible winning streak. Did you honestly expect that level of success that early, given the situation at the time? Oh, God, no. Okay. And that's why I say that overall the numbers aren't pretty, but given the circumstances where he was brought in, this is impressive for him for this particular timing. If he had all the time and all the stability like Big Ben had, where Big Ben, great weapons, great offense, knows the system like the back of his hand and can throw those nine touchdowns in two games, if Bradford had all of that behind him and he has these numbers, well then yes, I'm going to hop on the fact that he's pathetic. But the fact that he's at least been manageable in a situation where he would normally crumble, I'll take that. Five touchdowns, four games. Not very impressive. And uh, Rachel actually did laugh while when you did say, you said, I almost left. Rely and Sam Bradford. The only way those two go in a sentence together is that the word isn't is in the middle. Or something like that. Anyway. So we've pretty much come to the time of the show where we do our three picks for the week. Sean, you've been with us, so you know how this works. For those that have never listened to a Football 5 podcast, go subscribe to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Spreaker, and on Stitcher, too, I believe we're on. So what we do here is we pick the close game of the week, which game is going to come down to the wire, which game is going to be a blowout, who's going to win by 50 points, and who's going to pull off the upset this week. We'll start with Eric here since Josh is not with us tonight. Go ahead, John, um, Eric. Sorry. Oh, looking at this schedule, this could potentially be the quirkiest and possibly ugliest week of the season. But there are three games that stand out to me. Per- perfect segue with what Rachel said in the Steelers' offense, and I am giving a nod to them for my blowout of the week. They go down to Hard Rock, play the Dolphins, which, as we know, all kinds of issues at quarterback, at offensive line, defense, you name it, you can point out some sort of flaw. With the Steelers as hot as they are, I come to this the way that I approached the game with the Patriots last week. If they don't score 50 I will be disappointed. As far as an upset of the week, normally I wouldn't see this, but with Sunday night, with Odell Beckham hugging it out with the kicking net, with some things that are going on, I honestly think that the Giants, they could put together something and do Similar to what the Redskins did, although with the better result, I see them at home beating the Ravens. And 
As far as a close game, yes, I'm falling back to my old adages about divisions. But as the great Woody Page said, look at the schedule, guys. Uh... Yes, I'm not looking so hot with my Super Bowl picks right now. Thankfully, it's early, but Chiefs, Raiders. I know the different coach with um, Andy Reid at the helm the past couple of years, but when these two get together, it's always something magical, something at the very end. So when I see that those two are getting together, that's going to be my nail-biter. We'll go to Rachel next, because I know she's got a lot to do with the U.S. men's national team game today against New Zealand. Speaking of which, gold, Jolie, and green, USA up 1-0. Had to throw that little tidbit in there. Uh, for my close game of the week, I'm going to go with L.A. and Detroit. I think it's going to be a close one, the battle of the quarterbacks. It's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting to see who comes out on top. I'm very, very excited for that game. As for a blowout, sorry, Dylan, I know you're planning on hitting this game up, but the Steelers are, there's no reason why the Steelers cannot blow out the Miami Dolphins. Um, James Harrison is going to make Ryan Tannehill cry. And for my upset of the week, I think I'm going to go with... Oh, gosh, this this is so hard for me to pick. I was teetering on two of them, but I'm going to go with the Jets beating the Cardinals. I don't know how much of an upset that is because both teams are kind of on level playing field with with um, records and such, but I don't see the Cardinals winning two in a row with Drew Stanton. So we'll see how it goes. Dylan? All right, so I'll start with my upset of the week, and that comes on Thursday Night Football. And I mentioned this earlier, and I know the San Diego Chargers have had many problems winning games this year. They have had the talent and the ability to be 5-0 and this year, but they are 1-4. I cannot imagine they are not angry entering Thursday Night Game against their divisional rival, the Denver Broncos, who they happen to play very well, especially on Thursday Night Football. So... Denver enters with Trevor Simeon, a banged-up Trevor Simeon, a quarterback. Gary Kubiak will not be coaching this football game. He is dealing with a migraine condition. So they're going to go with their special teams coach, who many around him like, but on a short week, it's going to be tough to adjust to a coaching change. So at home, looking for a win to prove that they still have something to play for as they try to pick up their season. I'm going with the Chargers this one. They're three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home. And I see them picking up the win over the Broncos 4-1. and one. They have gotten off to a quick start despite losing last week. And I'm going with the Chargers in an upset on Thursday Night Football. And as for my close game of the week, it's a divisional rivalry but not out west. Instead, it is up east between the Eagles and the Redskins. The Eagles enter having their first loss of the season. The Redskins enter with three straight wins Eagles enter as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. 
I'm going with the Redskins on this one. They have a rent win streak coming in. Philadelphia is de- dealing with their first loss with the rookie quarterback, so it'll be interesting to see how they deal with adversity. And as for my blowout game of the week, for the second straight week, it goes to the New England Patriots. Last week, they blew out the Browns. This week, they're going to blow out another team from Ohio, the Cincinnati Bengals. They are the highest underdog this, this week, the Bengals, in half. The Patriots have Tom Brady back. Martellus Bennett got three touchdowns last week. They have a scary tight end tandem again with Rob Gronkowski fully healthy. This is going to be ugly, folks. At home, New England, Tom Brady back for his first home game of the season. New England blows him out, and Cincinnati is going to have some work to do at 2-4. and four. Uh, Before we get to Sean and my picks for the week, I just want to correct Dylan. I did see the line for that game today on the herd, Colin Cowherd. It's minus 9. I don't know if it might have changed after that show, but anyway, I totally forgot. We have to talk about Con Kaepernick because the man who's taking knees on the sidelines will now take knees on the field as he's starting Sunday against the Bills. Real quick, guys, real quick here. Blank average, 931, 40-game career. How much better are they really? I mean, I'm, I'm just going to go out and say it. They're not that much better with Colin Kaepernick than they are with Blank Gabbard. I have to what? disagree. I disagree. I, I think they, Colin Kaepernick is just, he's better than Blaine Gabbert. Uh, Chip Kelly, he's a big, big run offense type guy from what I've seen. And that's Cap's specialty. That's not really Blaine Gabbert's specialty. Uh, I'm, I'm for Kaepernick on a lot of things. I'm with him with his stance. I am with him as a player. And I think that this should have happened two weeks ago, but I think the 49ers were a little bit afraid to start him, but I think now is a great time. I think he's a lot better than Blaine Gabbert, and I'm excited. I've never thought I'd ever hear this said to me because my father raised me to not like the 49ers, but I'm actually excited to watch the San Francisco 49ers and I want them to win with Colin Kaepernick at the helm. They really have nothing to lose at this point. They entered the season with relatively low expectations, and they cannot move the ball with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback. So they really have nothing to lose with going for a spark, going for a guy that's been outspoken, been in the headlines, and now he's going to be able to prove it on the field by trying to do something, make headlines other than what he's been trying to stand for. So... We've heard about how he might fit into Chip Kelly's offense, the mobile system, up-temple, no huddle. He did that at Oregon, Marcus Mariota, Darren Thomas. It worked to perfection. Let's see if it works on another mobile quarterback in Colin Kaepernick. Remember, this is a guy that went to the Super Bowl and was considered one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. Of course, he has shown regression. He's been injured, and it's going to be interesting to see what he has for us on Sunday in Buffalo. But the 49ers really had no choice. This move should have been made a couple of weeks ago. They weren't moving the ball with Blaine Gabbard. They didn't have a spark. So they needed a spark. They needed a guy that gives them a legitimate chance at winning. And while he's regressed, this is their best option to win some games. And they made it. They made a good decision because if they kept on waiting, it would be another ugly season for the 49ers if they kept going with Blaine Gabbard, who, as Steven mentioned, has only nine career wins as a starter. So it was definitely time for them to make the change. I saw Blaine Gabbert at Missouri. I didn't know what the hype was about him. I've seen Blaine Gabbert in Jacksonville. I was proven right. 
scared to throw the ball, cannot fit in a pro-style system. I saw Colin Kaepernick at Nevada with the pistol offense using his mobility. This is the sort of thing that Chip Kelly's systems breed and thrive on. He'll be able to capture that same magic that he had initially under Harbaugh. The Niners will be just fine. It's about time. Yeah, I think it's more about Kaepernick actually has a can of an arm and he can throw. And that's the one thing that Gabbard, as Eric pointed out, he just, yeah, he's got the mobility of running. No doubt he can run around, but he doesn't throw like Kaepernick does. And if Kaepernick can get back his accuracy and what you're used to seeing from him and kind of meld that into uh, what we're seeing, I guess, from the Cowboys and Dak Prescott and be the quarterback he used to be, then it's a no-brainer. Uh, I mean, the good thing that, that Gabbard has done is able to breathe life into a guy like Jeremy Curley and a few other guys that nobody would have known their names probably with uh, Kaepernick around. So perhaps now Torrey Smith will be the guy that benefits most out of Kaepernick. It's all about if Kaepernick can capture that magic and get some of these guys that have kind of been dormant uh, into the game, and perhaps Carlos Hyde is going to have a bigger factor now, too, with Kaepernick there. Okay, so a lot of different opinions here on Kaepernick. We'll be sure to get Josh's next week when he joins us back here on the Football Five. So, Sean, go ahead. Give us your blowout of the week, your close game of the week, and your upset of the week. I think uh, blowout of the week, i got to go with uh, Tennessee, who looked really good last week. I think they're going to look really good here again against the Browns, being able to have DeMarco Murray run all over them, and then also being able to stop Isaiah Crowell again, which made it a problem. And not to mention the Browns were down to, like, Charlie Whitehurst, and if he gets hurt, then they got to put Terrell Pryor in. Goodness, I feel so bad for the Browns at this point. But the Titans should blow them out. I'll be really surprised if they don't do that at home. Uh, the Close game of the week, i got to go to a divisional matchup. The Saints always play the Panthers tough. Uh, last year, against the backup quarterback, it took a game-winning interception from Josh Norman to allow them to continue to be undefeated. I think with Drew Brees there and the weapons they have, knowing that you're not going to want a repeat of what happened against the Falcons, I think the Saints are going to keep it close with the Panthers. And I think the Panthers are going to be more in panic mode this time. Saints are going to win that one. And my upset of the week, yeah, you can call me a homer, but I truly feel like this is going to be one of those games to watch on Sunday, not only because it's a Cowboys-Packers game, but it's in Green Bay where the Cowboys, I think, haven't won in like five their last five tries. It's number one rushing defense against number one rushing offense. Something's got to give there. I think the Cowboys are going to continue to do what they do, run the ball, and the Packers haven't played somebody like Prescott who can actually run and provides that run threat where that's what makes Ezekiel Elliott actually work is you have to watch out for Prescott so he opens holes where there wasn't because you have to spy on the QB. And the defense is seemingly getting better even without Skandrick there. So I'm going to say maybe Aaron Rodgers – has a pretty good game, but I think it's close, and the Cowboys maybe win by three. If the Cowboys win in Green Bay, I'm going to be very upset I'm missing this game. I'm going to a concert that night. 
Uh, very good picks by all, as always. Uh, Sean, very bold. Tights blowing at the Browns. I don't know. Wow, that's that's a big one. I'm be looking out for that one. So it's uh, it's my turn now. End the show here. My blowout game of the week. Uh, I'm sorry, Dylan. I'm with uh, Rachel, and I think Eric picked him too. The Dolphins have been called the Brown, the New Browns, or the Quivent Browns. Uh, yeah, they play the Stills. I saw an article on Last Word on ProFootball.com. Ben Roethlisberger could be the 2016 NFL MVP. And if that's the case, the 2016 NFL MVP is going up against the Browns. That's just both blowout in every fashion, every every way. Miami, I'm sorry, it's over. The game hasn't started yet, but it's over. Uh, close game of the week. Oh, man, so tough. There's so much good games. I'm about to go with Eric. The Raiders and the Chiefs. I picked these two teams to go wire, down to the wire in the AFC West. One of these teams is going to win the AFC West. I didn't expect Denver to be this good. Trevor Simeon half a defense from last year. But this is still going to be a great game. Derek Carr, very well-played quarterback. Mari Cooper, Michael Crabtree, great receivers. The Chiefs had Alex Smith, Jamal Charles, Jeremy Macklin, Eric Berry on defense. Uh, I forget their safety's name. Something with Knight, Trevor Knight, I think. I don't know. But anyway, that's gonna that's my close game of the week. The Raiders and the Chiefs. My upset of the week? Rachel's bold. Picking the Jets over the Cardinals, that's bold. That's that's amazing. But uh, I kind of want to give faith because they really don't have any. I want to give faith to the Jacksonville Jaguars. They meant, again, Brian Hoyer, who probably start for the Bears again this week, has the same stats as Aaron Rodgers. No, better stats than Aaron Rodgers over the past two seasons. So I say Jacksonville goes into the Windy City and knocks the wind out of the Bears. And that will do it here on the Football 5 Week 6 preview alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, Rich McCurrier. I'm Stephen Err. I want to thank our producer, jo- uh, not Josh, Sean Garmer, for joining us today. You can catch him on Football to the Max and many other podcasts here on the W2M Network. So until next week, I'm Steven Err. See ya. The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.